Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Hope you're having a great day. I want to welcome our listeners from the Mississippi Gulf Coast and from the Jackson metro area and the Mississippi Delta. Appreciate you joining us today as we continue to celebrate the people who are working so hard to make Mississippi such a better place to live, work, and play. Hey, we're going to be coming shortly to my friend Gerard Gibbard, who is the host of Middays. Uh, he's done some extensive research around Mississippi's health care challenges, and we're going to chat about that for just a, a bit. But before I do that, I want to kind of give you a background. For too many years, Mississippi has not enabled a debate in our state about Medicaid expansion. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of work to make it the boogeyman without really ultimately offering viable alternatives. And I think really our state suffered because of it. It's, it's really time that we begin to look at it and look at the challenges, healthcare challenges we're having in, the, in this state in a, in a very serious way. Um, but the leadership of Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and Speaker of the House Jason White has uh, now enabled us to embark on a critical conversation in this state. Incidentally, the governor continues to work overtime to throw water on the debate. You've seen conservative websites work overtime to try to kill any momentum that the debates and conversations create, especially in conservative circles. But but what's important is that the debate continues and the conversations continue. This is a testament to good leadership in our legislature and um, and it, it's testament also that there's a growing number of legislators, even even in the conservative leadership among uh, among them, that we have to consider Medicaid expansion. It's uh, it's time to stop making that the boogeyman. Listen, I wrote a column on February the 17th saying that it was entitled "This Mississippi's Healthcare Crisis Demands Unity in Action," and what I wrote was this. This is just one paragraph. Um, this is the perfect storm in our state. Imagine a hurricane hitting the heart of Mississippi's healthcare system, a system already uh, strained by the closure of hospitals and the severe reduction of healthcare services, especially in rural areas. With over half of Mississippi's population residing in these underserved regions, this is a crisis that demands immediate action. Medicaid expansion for the working poor could be a lifeline that desperately that we desperately need to bridge the, the uh, financial gaps and provide essential care uh, for these communities. That's from my column. But I've advocated for years that we need a governor's commission of sorts, just like we did after Hurricane Katrina, doing a very significant deep dive into Mississippi's health care crisis and the challenges that we're facing to not only improve health care in the state, but also improve health in our state. Listen, Gerard wrote this incredible piece back on Jan- January the 11th called uh, We Need Out-of-the-Box Thinking to Address Mississippi's Healthcare Challenges. I mean, it's a really detailed uh, piece about the healthcare situation in America and uh, along with the healthcare challenges that we're facing in Mississippi. But toward the end of his column, he wrote this. Finally, our state is blessed with lots of smart people 
who want our citizens to flourish and our state to achieve its fullest potential. A healthy population and a thriving, robust, robust health care system are essential to Mississippi's success. Mississippi's elected leaders should, co should commission a task force comprised of a brain trust of individuals and subject matter experts representing a cross-section of disciplines, including, but of course not limited to, healthcare professionals and hospitals and private companies of varying sizes, insurance companies, uh, state Medicaid uh, lawmakers, community leaders, farmer reps, economists, and even faith leaders to come together to devise practical solutions for Mississippi's health and healthcare challenges. You know, Gerard and I both are former CEOs, so we understand the complexity of this challenge is really daunting. But it's time for our best and uh, brightest to come together. And the important news of the day is that we're finally embarking on this important debate, and we're beginning to look at what are the viable solutions, Medicaid expansion being included. I want to I close with one other thing before we come to Gerard. He makes this argument. He says that any discussion about healthcare economic policy must include uh, ideas on how to improve health in our state's population, which is a driver of overall costs. We should start by focusing on the state's top ranking, <clears throat> excuse me, in infant mortality. Adoption of healthier lifestyles and wellness, including proper prenatal care, will lower the cost of incident of disease, improve the quality of life, and drive down the overall cost for. Uh, everyone. See, Gerard believes, and as a former paramedic myself, I've seen it with my own eyes, along with the gut-wrenching human element that that's hard to turn your head away from when you go visit a neonatal intensive care unit, it also creates a, a clarion call for change. And one of the things that he has suggested, and I think it's a, it's a really, really good idea, that every legislator be required to go to the UMMC needle, neonatal intensive care unit before deciding any solutions. Uh, I think that that is really good advice. So look, this is complicated. In the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, it was also complicated. But we have shown that in our state, when we get focused and we bring our best and brightest together, we can find solutions, and we can do this now. So without any further uh, 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 setups for this conversation today, I just want to invite my friend Gerard Gibbert to the conversation. And just first of all, say good morning. How you doing, Gerard? Hey, Ricky. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Doing great. It's good to see you too, my friend. Hey, listen, um, I want to first just thank you for your leadership. You've been diving into this issue since, uh, you know, since this whole notion of a change in America's health care could be a possibility back in as early as 2008. Um you know, I think that Super Talk's playing a vital role, uh, not only in this conversation, but in a lot of important conversations in our state right now. I, I like to call us the convener of important conversations. Uh, so when you when you get out there like you are, Gerard, you you have a t you you can have detractors. And you can have people who support you in this effort. And before we even get started into, into uh, kind of where we are in the legislature today, I'm curious, how has the, the uh, political pushback been? <laughs> well, um, it, it's been fairly strong uh, from, from both sides of this issue. And um, as you're probably aware, 
I have not uh, personally declared a po position either for or against. Rather, I felt like that where I could be of value to this process was just being an information resource. And, and I know it maybe looks a little unusual that you got this guy that used to be the CEO of an IT company and, and now has been converted to, uh, I guess, a member of the media. Um, hosting a program here statewide on Supertalk, which I'm very grateful for and very much enjoy. How does he know anything about healthcare? And and anyone, and I, I know you did, read, read my article, understands how um, the issue even got my interest. And that was going back to 2008. And and I won't go into that uh, today. You can, you can see that in the article. But that's what really sparked my interest in politics in general. But since then, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of an obsessive person when it comes to information. And, and I like to really know everything I can about a, a topic or a, a, a realm that I care deeply about. How can you not care about health care, not just in Mississippi, but nationwide? You don't have a human bone in your body, you know, if you don't. And uh, but then it's complicated, as you indicated. How, how do we address this issue? You know, you know, how does public policy figure into this? And. So I, I got so obsessive, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off or my hands off any piece of information that, that I could glean that I thought was relevant to this issue. And I've got this gigantic library of white papers and research documents and articles and speeches and everything else, you know, that, that I, I've used to kind of understand more than anything else. And so when I wrote that article, as you can tell, um, there are a lot of inputs uh, to, <laughs> to a guide that article. I think about 80 different sources, which I've been collecting for years, not just something I sat down and started looking up to, to write this article. And, um, and so I felt like if I could share that with those in charge, lawmakers that are dealing with this public policy and try to frame this issue um, that maybe that would be of value when, when they make these decisions. I was uh, privileged. I was requested by Sam Creekmore, who is the chairman of the uh, Public Health Committee in the House of Representatives. I was asked by him to come present to a joint hearing of a committee meeting, actually. It was a hearing, but it was a committee meeting of the Medicaid and public health committees in the House and Senate. Best I could eyeball count, Ricky, I'd say that was probably 40 people between those two, maybe even more between those two committees in, in both chambers. So it's a, a, a large number. And it was just 20, 30 minutes of just trying to explain this the issue. Those of you who think there's not an issue, well, that's just not being honest. Those of you that think there's just this singular solution to it, that's not being honest either. And and all I wanted to do was just try to hopefully frame and inform and, and capture the essence of the problem. And I talked about my visit, as you just indicated, to the NICU, which it forever changed me. I can tell you that, Ricky. And that was 2019. Again, I would say, how could you possibly be a human being? Forget politics. That's Take that off the table. When you enter the NICU at UMMC and you are exposed to this giant room, is what it is, of a bunch of bassinets that are filled with little humans that are all sick, struggling for their life, and, and there's nurses running around in there, Ricky, like crazy. Hey, let's do this. We're going to pick it up right there when we come back on the other side. But we're visiting with Gerard Gibbard, and we'll see you after this break. 
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Gerard Gibbert, host of Middays, with us. He's done a lot of thinking about health care in Mississippi. And uh, just one quick note before we get back to where we were uh, when we went to break. You know, as a publisher for 16 years of, of my life, publisher of newspapers and media com- and CEO of media companies, you know, I know what it's like to, to stand out there and stand for an issue. And I know what it's like to have detractors. I know what it's like, actually, to have both sides mad at you. You know, sometimes that's certainly true. But when you're the convener of a, pub, of a, of a conversation, uh, you have to be willing to take your licks. As long as what you believe that you're putting out there is, is important for the conversation. And I think Super Talk Mississippi has done such a terrific job of leading these kinds of conversations. And in particular, you have done a great job of leading this particular conversation. And I know that a lot of people are, are, are there's a lot of gratitude for you, for you, for you doing that. But, you know, when we went back to the, when we went to break, we're talking about the neonatal intensive care unit. When you go in there and you see all of the sick babies, as you pointed, these sick human beings, and you start to understand you know, to what extent are they covered? You know, what's the coverage level of these kids? Where do they come from? How did they find themselves in that situation? What is it about the sort of the cultural situation in Mississippi that led to them being there? There's a lot to learn in that compelling case for action that you're looking at when you're in that intensive care unit, isn't there? It's incredible. Um, and I was, I was being escorted uh, by one of the uh, former vice chancellors of the UMMC, that uh, was giving me the tour and and first time i've ever been up there this was 2019 and uh, there was also two two babies that were in a special room that was for the more critical cases and they were teeny tiny had more wires and tubes and cables and machines hooked up to them and i believe there were five nurses attending round the clock to these two babies and i'll be honest with you when we finally exited walked back into the hall i mean you're going from this NICU and this situation and back into the hall you know just one door separating i had to sit down and and kind of take a breath and gather my wits and and uh dr jimmy keaton who was with me that my escort um he's he uh, he looked at me said you okay i said yes sir i am i i said i just gotta ask you what's the prognosis for the two that we just saw he said, let's just say by the time they're in the first grade, they'll be behind the other kids. That's always stuck with me, Ricky, when he made that statement. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's all I said. And I knew at that point, okay, I don't need to pry anymore. I get it. And then I said, the business person in me said, okay, Dr. Keaton, how much is this costing? And he said, I knew you were going to ask that, Gerard, so I have that data. And, and he shared that with me. And, you know, it's no secret, uh, um, a stay in the NICU at UMC it's going to be a million dollars minimum almost. Uh, and in that special area, we're talking two and a half, three million bucks before they're finally released. So um, the next question was, and this is where I'm going with this because it's, it's relevant to my testimony last week. I said, okay, the next question is how many of those cases were avoidable with, with proper prenatal care or the, the mother, the pregnant mother uh, just observing good health benefits? And he said, most, that was his answer, most. And then of course, when you think about the fact that, okay, well, most of these babies in here are uninsured or they're covered by low reimbursement Medicaid, 
that means that burden is falling on the taxpayers. It's consuming resources. Forget the health consequences, the possible negative health outcomes. You don't want to see any human, much less an innocent child, an innocent baby, have to endure this. But it's like, wow, if we could just address this prenatal issue and so that we would come off the top of having the highest infant mortality rate and maternal mortality problem. And then um, I wanted to share with the audience that, uh, as I did last week in testimony, 57 percent of the babies born in the state of Mississippi are covered by Medicaid. And that tells you that, well, that means they're being born to a, to an impoverished mother. That means that to qualify for that benefit, which kind of reduces the prospects, statistically speaking, of that that baby developing into a, a productive, thriving child. I mean, that that's not that's not being negative or denouncing or critical. It's just the fact that statistically they got a lower chance of achieving their full potential. So when I when I started my my remarks last week, Ricky, I said, well, there's I want to make sure you understand there's health and then there's health care. And we have a problem with both. And we, we can't, like I said in the article, we can't just address health care as a delivery by people who are providing their, using their talents and assets and resources to provide their services. We can't conflate that with this need to improve the health of our citizens in our state. And it, I don't feel like we're getting the message out there. And I don't feel like the people in this building really are fully aware of this or even thinking about addressing it. It's unfortunately that issue of health in our state, as you know, has revolved almost exclusively in the last few years around should we expand Medicaid or not? And and while we could discuss the pros and cons of that all day long, and to, and to your point, you're right, there are people that have come on very hard uh, against it, and, and they have uh, contacted me, and there are people that are for it, and they have contacted me. And, and as you said, that's fine. I appreciate that. I put myself in the middle of this. I'm just trying to help. I, I don't really have a personal dog in the hunt other than I love my state, and I want my state, like you do, to thrive and, and to reach its fullest potential. And we're not going to do that as long as we have so many people that aren't in our workforce, so many people that are walking around today and don't know about about um, health problems that are going to get them, and then it's going to cost them a health outcome, disease, and so forth, and, and, and quality of life, and it's likely going to cost the taxpayers to take care of it. Um, yeah. And, to, and so yeah, we, you know, yeah, go ahead. Finish your point. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. We, we shouldn't have a discussion about Healthcare policy, in my like I, like you read from the article, without discussing health and the quality of life and the, and the need for us to address that problem. Well, listen, as as you well know from your time, um, you know as a as a technology CEO, as I learned as a media CEO, that if you're gonna if you're gonna reengineer something, you have to take a very holistic view. You have to you and you can't go to where you want to go. If you don't really understand where you are now, that's one of the one of the benefits of what you wrote about. It's it's certainly giving a lot of historical perspective, but it explains sort of the path to where we are today. And it's really kind of important to to understand those pieces, the pieces around uncompensated care and why that's so important and what the Emergency Medical Treatment Act 
signed by Ronald Reagan in 1986, what it did. And, you know, the point that you make that no amount of reorganizing or repurposing or reengineering of the medical system is going to help you overcome that because it's very unique as a business that, and it is a business, that it has this this unpaid piece that's being forced upon them, and it's just part of the overall discussion. But you can't go to where you want to go if you don't know where you are now. And to get your head around where we are now, that's very complex. For some people, it might be just easier to say, we're just not going to go there. But we can't take that approach. That's why it's important that the leadership of our state, I'm, I'm pleased that Jason White and Delbert Hoseman are leading conversations around this today, and we're bringing some of our best and brightest together to have the conversation, because we, we're not going to find solutions if we, if we take any other route, are we? Yeah, um, and that's why, and I appreciate you reading that final paragraph, is at a minimum, we got a bunch of smart people uh, in our state. We're blessed with that. Uh, we, we need kind of a blue ribbon panel. And I know a lot of people get kind of put out anytime they hear about, oh, yeah, go do another study. But this is different in that we're not commissioning a group in this case that's in the business of producing documents and handing you a bill for that. Um, I, I know you're familiar with that concept in running a business. Um, so-called consultants, you know, we in our industry, we, we used to say, yeah, consultants, that's a man from out of town with a briefcase. <laughs> right. But and in no disrespect, I mean, they serve a valuable purpose. But what I what I, I try to say here is th- this affects so much of our society. This is there's an ethical issue. There's a moral issue. There's a financial issue. There's a legal issue. There's an economic issue. We got to get people that understand all that at the table to have this discussion. And, I, and I'm I still wish we do that, honestly. Yeah. Ricky. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, if leadership feels like it, I in any way, shape, or form could could uh, be valuable to that process. You know, I'm here, and and I will make this point too. When you're when you're presenting to a hearing of legislators, like I did last week, and as you know, there's a bunch of interested party, including the media, that are in that room, packing in that room as well. Probably 150 people. I didn't say this, but I'm but I I, I will say this on this show, and I said it on, on my show. I didn't say it in the room, but. I'm the only person in that room not getting paid to be there. (laughs) Isn't that something? Because I'm advocating for something that somebody's paying me to advocate for. I'm here because I care and because I want to help. No I feel, hey, listen, I feel the same way about the, my focus on the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Commission. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm just an interested citizen trying to create a conversation around yeah. how we got to do things in the public in the public trust. And uh, you, again, you, you're going to have detractors when you have those kind of conversations. But if you're, if you're passionate about it and you've done your homework, which I have, which you have, we can uh, we can convene conversations that hopefully will lead to some positive change. When we come back on the other other side, there's, there's another analogy I want to use as it relates to Katrina, and then I want to take a step back and let you update people about sort of where we are in the process. We'll see you after this break. Reminding you why we all love living in this great state of Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Gerard Gibbert, uh, host of Middays, who's done a tremendous amount of focus, uh, a lot of homework. I call it burning the midnight oil around health care and solutions and sort of where we are in the process. I mentioned, Gerard, that I wanted to, to give one more comparison to Katrina. You know, when we did, we formed the Governor's Commission on, Rec- on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal, we knew that there were a lot of pieces. We had to clean up the debris. We had to start the rebuilding process. We had to envision where the coast was going because we didn't want to just rebuild the infrastructure as it was. We wanted to actually build infrastructure. Now that we were going to have tens of billions of dollars, we wanted to build infrastructure that would enable economic development in the future, allow us to, to become the communities we wanted to become. Um, we also knew that if we didn't fortify, if we didn't think about how we rebuild in a way that's going to withstand future storms, it would be right back where we were to begin with if, if, uh, if we were hit again by a Katrina-like storm. You know, healthcare is the same way. This is the reason why you have to link, link, link up health, a conversation about the health and well-being of Mississippians with health care because they're, they're absolutely connected. There's no way to unconnect them. If you don't address one, you're going to continue to have problems in the other. We should go about this very holistically. Again, super complicated, but I'm really, really thrilled that our legislature is embarking on these conversations, and it's important that you were at this meeting. I think it's terrific that they ask you to be there and to, to, to testify. Um, why don't we do this before we go any further about sort of kind of why we need to do this and what some of the possible outcomes might be. Just remind people where we are in the legislative process as it relates to this conversation. Yeah, so um the the bill uh, that was authored by Speaker of the House Jason White that would um, implement Medicaid expansion in the state of Mississippi and, and and Ricky it may make sense for just a tiny bit of background on that I think the, the Medicaid program is complicated and I think there's a lot of sort of misconceptions about m- Medicaid. Um, in general. So the traditional Medicaid passed in 1965 was really designed as a safety net for, for certain people in society, the, in, the uh, low-income elderly, um, those with disabilities, can't work, blind, uh, pregnant women, children in poor uh, households. That's the traditional coverage gr- groups that uh, Medicaid uh, services today absent expansion. Expansion was a provision, it's called expansion, but that um, was a provision of the Affordable Care Act passed in 2010, which essentially just extended Medicaid benefits to low-income, able-bodied adults. They also are described as non-disabled, able-bodied, non-disabled, same thing, depending on what what, uh, terminology you want there. And and so essentially, it's, it's working people, uh, it's assumed it's working people. Doesn't have to be because you can have no income whatsoever under traditional Medicaid expansion and qualify. Forty states have done it. Ten have not. Uh, it, it became an option after the Supreme Court ruling in 2012. That's where we are right now. So Mississippi has been considering Medicaid expansion for some time. A bill this year was authored by uh, Speaker of the House Jason White. Historically, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn has has never been a supporter of Medicaid expansion. And so we didn't even get any legislation out of committee. W- wasn't even really concerned. And it usually came from Democrats and it would just get killed in committee. So we have a speaker now 
who, who does support it, authors this bill with some exceptions to the to the base program known as waivers that, that the state would request of the feds uh, to approve to implement expansion. All right, so that bill was passed out of the Medicaid House Committee yesterday. I attended that committee meeting. It was fairly short. There wasn't a lot of controversy. There were uh, three or four questions, maybe, that were uh, answered by uh, the chair, uh, chairwoman, Missy McGee, from the Hattiesburg area. It passed unanimously. Um, and so I think we're going to see a vote in the House on it today. Uh, I would handicap it at 50-50 based on my kind of little straw poll within the members of the House. There's still many that are concerned, uh, many who are being whipped by opponents who are saying, hey, if you if you vote for this, we're going to find a primary opponent for you. The old we're going to take your picture off the wall scenario threat over in the Senate. There's not a bill yet. We're supposed to, there's a framework, but the details of the bill, which would come back and do a strike all is what they call it. They put it in there as a placeholder to meet the deadline. So we don't have that. The, the Lieutenant governor said he will not support any legislation that doesn't incorporate a rigid work requirement. There is a work requirement in the house bill that passed the Medicaid committee yesterday, but that has to be approved by the federal government. That's where we are right now. Now the, what the house bill says is, Okay, if we apply for this waiver and the federal government doesn't approve it by September 30th, Medicaid still would implement the program absent the work requirement waiver, but it has an automatic repealer on it in four years. So it would be implemented for four years. There is a financial incentive from the federal government that was included in the American Rescue Plan passed in March 21 under President Joe Biden that increases the match from the federal government to cover the base program for by 5% for two years, if you expand. Now, doing the math in the state of Mississippi, that amounts to about $700 million additional federal funds if Mississippi adopts and passes expansion it is expected that the state's cost would be projected, I should say, about $150 million a, a year. So you can see right there, that would cover the state's cost for four years. Tack on to that, the agreement by the, the companies that operate Medicaid, the third-party insurance company, they're called managed care organizations, MCOs. In Mississippi, we have what's called a premium tax. The insurance companies pay taxes on their premiums sold to consumers um, to the to the state government goes to the general fund. That's three percent. The MCOs have agreed to an additional four percent, not just on the expansion premiums, but on existing premiums. Bottom line is that amounts to about one hundred fifty million dollars a year, and that and that's perpetual. That's every year. That alone would cover the state's estimated cost before we get to this uh, additional incentive from the federal government. So from a financial perspective, it's a pretty compelling argument, honestly. Um, we, you can get into the philosophical weeds about, and I have some concerns about that as well. Are we, are we expanding government? Are we increasing welfare? But I would also say, I would also say that um, 
something that's a distinction about this program of all other federal assistance or, or so-called welfare programs. This is not money or checks or vouchers or deposits that go to the enrollees. This is payment to the providers, the physicians, the nurses, the hospitals, the clinics for providing care to these people. What I think is fundamentally unfair and what I think is probably the, the greatest argument of all in favor of this is that because of MTALA, which you just mentioned, a Ronald Reagan creation, and what I talk about in the article, hospitals, emergency rooms particularly, they are compelled by law to treat patients that show up in the ER whether they can pay or not. You can't name another industry in this country that is under the the guise of a federal law that says you got to give your service away for free. You can't find me one. That's what's happening right now. That's fundamentally unfair. Forget about Medicaid. Fundamentally, that ain't right, in my opinion. They cannot, you cannot, you don't show up at the hospital in the ER experiencing a heart attack. The doctor doesn't say, or the nurse or whomever, the triage nurse, hey, can you pay us for this before we treat you? That doesn't happen. And $100,000 $100, later, after you've had that heart surgery, then, they, then, right, they just absorb it. That's what happens now. That's not right. It's why our hospitals, and it ain't just the rural hospitals, it's the urban hospitals, too, or, or yeah. financially. Yeah, actually, uh, I had uh, Lauren St. Pay from Singer River Health Systems on last week, and their uncompensated care is like $30 million. I mean, who can operate a business with that kind of a deficit? Think about it. Of course, you know, Memorial's had the same kind of challenges, you know, operating at a, at a deficit. By the way, just a quick note, we're, we're because of how, because of when these shows run, we're actually recording this show on Wednesday morning. This is going to play on Thursday so that we could have access to, to Gerard, just to, the agreement we had to make to be, be able to get our calendars in sync. But most of this is still be what we may know, and incidentally, by the time this airs on Thursday, we may know about that House vote. So uh, we'll see how that goes. You know, Gerard, the other thing that, that, that you know, certainly the, the point you made about neonatal intensive care, we, we need to go visit those. Uh, there's also the point about if you're trying to get care in rural areas right now. And I want to make that point when we get back on the other side, but we'll continue our conversation in just a second. Matthews show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Gerard Gibbert with me. He's the host of Middays uh, with Gerard Gibbert, and he has put a lot of thought into this discussion around the health care challenges in Mississippi. When we went to break, Gerard, um, I mentioned that, you know, 51% of Mississippians live in rural areas. That's just a fact. 
and a, a, a large number of them are working poor. That's also just a fact. Uh, if you look at what's happened in rural areas, there's a lot swirling around this. It's not just related to uncompensated care because, as you and I both know, there are lots of challenges in healthcare industry these days, and it would take, would take several shows for us to break all that down. But I lease three farms in the Mississippi Delta, one in Chula, Mississippi, one up in Mentor City, and then another and one in Greenwood, right outside of Greenwood, in Itabina. And I think a lot about this. I think you know, if, if my, any of my family, family members were to get hurt or need critical care, what are, this, what are the options for them? If you look at Greenwood Hospital, our friend Gary Marchand, who actually used to be the head of, of Memorial down here in Gulfport, he's been wrestling with the decline in services at Greenwood Hospital. Um, if you live in a rural area right now, this, the situation's not good for you in terms of health care. This is one another compelling reason we need to be having this conversation, isn't it? It, it totally is. Uh, Greenwood LaFleur Hospital, it, it seems like, is, is always the one that comes up. Any time the discussion revolves around the financial plight of the rural institutions in our state. And, um, you know, those that, that tune into my show a lot know that I, I've actually pulled up their financial statements. I've, I've drilled into their past five years financial statements. I wanted to know, you know, firsthand what, what really is the financial picture. And you got an organization that's going to generate 100, 110 million dollars of revenue and lose 20. Um, so it's and, and with, when you look at the uncompensated care in a Greenwood, it's off the chart. I mean, it's it's bad at Singing River and Gulfport Memorial, as you know, and those are urban areas of our state. But in a Greenwood, uh, folks are showing up now. What you get from the people on the right that, uh, and I shouldn't say just people on the right. Let's say people who oppose Medicaid expansion. What they'll say is, well, Greenwood LaFour has got an old business model. The building is, is not really appropriate for modern medicine and the organizational structure is not, et cetera. I, I agree with that. It needs some modernization. It is a publicly owned facility. That costs money. But that's still, as you pointed out uh, from my piece, that's not going to counter free. You can't, you can't, there's no amount of restructuring that you can't run a business. Nobody sits down, as you know, as a CEO and do a, do a budget or a business plan and say, well, okay, well, so much of what I do is going to be free. I'll put that in here. No, nobody does that. But that's exactly what these healthcare institutions are doing. Um, and, and so, and there are people, honestly, that are in that area, Ricky, that qualify today for Medicaid and aren't signed up for it because they don't know anything about it. Because yeah. there's, no, there's no money invested in trying to promote and educate and just spread the word. Uh, so that's an issue as well, you know, if we're going to implement this program. And then Medicaid needs resources, the Division of Medicaid, to operate this program and, and accurately determine eligibility so that people who truly are eligible are approved and people who aren't are not, you know, are, are removed from the roles. There's no doubt. There's lots of gaming and, and uh, defrauding of the system. There's no doubt. And that needs to be rooted out. But that costs money as well, as you know. So that that's kind of where where we are. And by the way, there's 700 community hospitals in this country. Half of them are cash flow negative. This is not a unique problem to Mississippi. It's exacerbated in Mississippi because we have a lot of poor people, a lot of sick people, and a, and a very high number of uninsured people. 
And I know that my friends who want to repeal the certificate of need laws, and, I, and I'm with them on, on the basis of basic free market principles, I'm with them. But to suggest that that will solve this problem? No, it's not like there's this long list of hospitals and providers that are chomping at the bit to set up in Mississippi. Why? Come to Mississippi, everybody's sick and nobody pays. Um, and so that's a problem that we got to address. Yeah, they're, 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 it, again, it's complicated. Um, you know, rural hospitals across the country are struggling, as you pointed out. But would the difference, would the difference that Medicaid expansion would create for the rural hospitals enable them to do more critical care, more OBGYN, instead of pulling back on services in these critical areas, um, maybe we could keep them there. Still operated at a loss, but you know there, there's a reality here that we've got to address, and that is that the care in and of itself is not sufficient, really, in these rural areas right now, and that's a real problem. Well, the the opponents will tell you that uh, that that's not the case; that it really won't won't uh, move the needle or or improve. But I'd say this. $2 billion, roughly, being injected into the healthcare economy of the state. I don't see how you can look at that and say that's nothing. I mean, that's more than nothing. So um, on that basis, there'd have to be some some benefit, uh, I believe. If that's not the case, then why did we just do the $750 million payment reform plan that everybody was on board with back in September? It was for that exact reason. I agree it was. I agree it was. And, and man... Uh, a few billion dollars over the next few years would make a big difference. There's no doubt about it. But we'll continue to watch these. Hey, listen, thanks for your focus. Thanks for joining us today, my friend. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it, guys. You bet. You bet. This has been Gerard Gibbert from Middays. Uh, it was a terrific conversation. I look forward to having him back. But this conversation is ongoing. That is for sure. Have a great day. And we'll see you tomorrow. Talk Mississippi Media Production.